Well, hello and welcome to session 14 of the recovery course. Tonight's talk is called No Going Back and we're going to be looking at step 11, which says this. We sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry it out. And with that, there's a verse that Paul wrote uh, to the Colossian church where he wrote this, let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other, in step with each other. None of this going off and doing your own thing. Let the word of Christ have the run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. Let every detail in your lives, words, actions, whatever, be done in the name of the Master, Jesus, thanking God the Father every step of the way. One of the things that we touched on last week was the subject of relapse and the false assertion that this happens at the point that we start using our mood-altering process of choice again, whether that's alcohol, drugs, gambling, sex, overeating, self-harming, work, and so on. And we need to be clear that using again is a sign that we are already in a process of relapse. Using is the final act of something that has been going on for some time. While we actively and diligently follow the 12 steps, the threat of our addictive behavior returning is greatly reduced. Like the person with heart problems, we're relatively safe while we keep taking the medication. Neglect it and the threat of sickness returning is high. If at some point we are tempted to start using again, the foundational reason is that we have not been doing our step one, if indeed we ever got to grips with it fully in the first place. So it's that that we need to return to every single time. And let's remind ourselves what it says. Step one says, we admitted we were powerless over our addiction, that our lives have become unmanageable. Now, if we are conscious of our powerlessness over our addiction and the unrelenting destructiveness of its nature, there's no way that we will want to go into battle with it again. And we're advised to constantly remind ourselves just how vindictive and unforgiving our addiction is. It hasn't gone away. It has continued to grow while it's been sleeping and it will continue to try and destroy us if we give it the chance. And we forget this at our peril. As uh, St. Peter reminds us in one of his letters, he says, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And incredibly, no matter how much we recognize this, if you're anything like me, we have an amazing capacity to choose to forget it. Before we start using again, we always try and justify our actions. Uh, it's been what's known as stinking thinking. 
we reason with ourselves like this. I've been clean for a year now, so maybe I'm not an addict anymore. Now I've done this course, I can control my addiction. I'll have one drink, just one, and then I'm going to stop. My problem was heroin and cocaine, so actually I think I might stick to something harmless like cannabis. I'll get away with it this time. And, and we know that if we actually came to one of these sessions and shared those kind of thoughts with others in our group, they would say to us, are you insane? They would see that we are playing with fire. And so what do we do? We don't discuss it. And before we know it, we begin to become secretive and devious again. We stop going to our fellowship meetings. We don't talk to our sponsor as often as we did. We start putting up the shutters again. And our minds begin to obsessively dwell on the possibility of just once more. All of these things are signs that we're on the road to relapse and that we need to make a sharp U-turn back to the things, or should I say, the person we know has begun to give us life. So much for the negative thoughts. Let's replace them now with some positive ones and consider how we can keep ourselves, if you like, on the straight and narrow. Step 11 says, we sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry it out. Just as step 10, which we looked at last week, is best tackled in a few minutes at the end of the day, step 11 is actually a great way to start the day. Many Christians throughout the centuries have had what is known as um, a quiet time. And they have that first thing in the morning. And it's a time when we can spend a few minutes maybe reading some verses from the Bible, praying to God, uh, so that in order we may know his presence at the start of the day and receive the Holy Spirit who empowers us to deal with everything that is going to be thrown at us throughout the coming day. One thing that's for certain is we will be tempted to stray every single day. Jesus was. So why would we actually be any different? The writer of Hebrews in the New Testament, he reminds us of how Jesus was also tempted. Wrote this, For we do not have a high priest, that's Jesus, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Jesus was tempted just like we are. The thing is, he never sinned. We often make the wrong choice. During this course, we have probably been aware that a battle has been going on, a battle between what one, I guess, could describe as good and evil. There has been a tug of war taking place inside our heads. 
Maybe it has felt like someone is trying to pull you in the wrong direction, back to the life you have left behind or are trying to leave behind. And then there's someone else in your head who is encouraging you in what you perceive to be the right direction towards a better life that lies ahead. Jesus was very familiar with this battle. And in the Gospel of Mark, he tells us, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. He goes on, the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Remember, though, that temptation is not sin. It's the giving in to the temptation that's the problem. And sometimes we can very easily, again, if you're anything like me, you can get quite deflated. You you can be really strongly tempted to use again. And you go through what this is, this terrific, terrific battle going on in your head. And you get to the end of the day and you've got away with it. It's time to go to bed and you've survived the battle and yet you, it's been such a vivid battle that you actually feel quite down and feel as though you have failed because the temptation was so vivid. And we equate the temptation with the falling and we forget to recognise, but hang on a minute, I held out. I should actually be doing cartwheels and rejoicing that I've made it, I've got through it. But I often feel as though I failed when actually I haven't because I haven't given in to the temptation. In Matthew chapter 4, we are given an account of when Jesus came face to face with the devil and we're told that he was tempted three times in various ways. And the third and final temptation went something like this. It's written, for the third test, the devil took Jesus to the peak of a huge mountain. He gestured expansively, pointing out all the earth's kingdoms, how glorious they all were, and then he said to Jesus, they're yours, lock, stock and barrel, just go down on your knees and worship me and they're yours. And we're told Jesus' refusal was curt. Beat it, Satan. And he backed his rebuke with a third quotation from Deuteronomy, a book in the Old Testament. He quoted him this verse, worship the Lord your God and only him. Serve him with absolute single-mindedness. And then it finishes that paragraph with this short, rather lovely few words. The test was over. The devil left. When we are tempted to return to our old ways, we need to do as Jesus did and tell Satan in no uncertain terms to clear off. And then we're encouraged to worship the Lord our God and serve him with absolute single-mindedness. So, how should this quiet time be structured? Well, first, we need to do what it says in the name, and that's actually be quiet. In the 21st century, our lives run at a phenomenal pace, and we need to slow down enough to hear what God may actually want to say to us. Even Jesus found it necessary to spend time alone with God, And in Psalm 46, God says, it's quite a famous line, it says, 
be still and know that I am God. As an aside, in the Latin version of the Bible, the root phrase, sorry, the root of the phrase, be still, comes from the word from which we get our word vacation. And so this verse can be paraphrased, I really like this, take a vacation from being God and let God be God. I really like that. What is meditation, though? The definition of the word meditation is concentration of the mind on just one thing in order to aid spiritual development, contemplation, or relaxation. That's why we need to be in a place where we are not going to be interrupted and where we can spend a few minutes silently waiting on God, where he listens to us and, far more importantly, we listen to him. Of course, at first, this will be extremely difficult to do, even for five minutes. Um, I'm not great being quiet. Um, if I'm in the quiet for five minutes, I start mentally climbing walls. So it's not easy, but it is worth persevering with. One thing that has really helped me uh, in these times is reading one of the many Bibles that are available uh, that are aimed specifically at recovering addicts. And there are a number to choose from. My own uh, personal favourite is the Recovery Devotional Bible. It's published by a company called Zondervan. And it's a conventional Bible, but through, throughout it there are also short meditations written by former addicts for every day of the year, plus a few verses to read and a short prayer that you can also pray. And the whole exercise literally only takes five minutes. And that's perfect for someone as disorganized and chaotic as me, and is an excellent way of listening to what God may want to say to me. Five minutes may not seem long, but all I know is that when I start the day with one of these meditations from that Bible, everything seems to go more smoothly. And when I don't find the time, then I seem to stumble from one crisis to another. Second, having found a quiet place, we can talk to God. And what is talking to God? Praying. At this point, we need to clarify the difference between asking God for things and telling God what he should be doing. It's another one of my strong points, that I love to tell God how to be God. So often, the temptation is to tell God how to do his job. We find ourselves praying, you must do this. You've got to act in this particular way. We need to take a reality check. The purpose of this life is that we should seek God's will. It's not trying to bend God into doing my will. Remember step one? We tried to play God and look where it has got us. What this doesn't mean is that God is not interested in our day-to-day -day concerns. Far from it. He wants us to share everything with him. And I mean everything. In Philippians uh, 4.6, something that 
Paul instructs us. He says, don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. And don't be over-concerned as to how you pray. In, again, in Romans, St. Paul writes this. He says, God's Spirit is right alongside us, helping us along. If we don't know how or what to pray, it doesn't matter. He does our praying in and for us, making prayer out of our wordless sighs, our aching groans. He knows us far better than we know ourselves and keeps us present before God. You know, some of my best prayer times have actually been when I have simply just sat in the quiet, completely defeated, believing that maybe God is there, and I've just... and groaned because I didn't have the words to say. St. Paul reminds us in Romans 12 why this submission to God is so beneficial for us. He wrote this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And he goes on, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's what this whole course is about, renewing our mind. And then there's a glorious result as our minds begin to get renewed. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. He's good, pleasing, and perfect will. Notice that final sentence. God's will for us is good, it will please us, and it's perfect. Cannot be improved upon. And as we know from experience, our will has been imperfect, and as a result, turned out to be none too pleasing. So why not try a new way for a change and offer ourselves as living sacrifices to the one who knows best and loves us passionately? Submission is not one of my favourite words. I have spent a lifetime not submitting really to anyone. But this 12 steps works when we submit. When we stand in front of God and we wave that white flag and we just say, I give up, that's when the business really begins to start and we begin to change and we begin to have a life that we could never have believed could be so gloriously rich in peace and joy and all that other stuff that we long for as people. But it comes down to submission. Occasionally, we come across people in recovery who seem to have merely swapped the misery of addiction for the misery of abstinence. And that, from my point of view, is no life 
at all. A couple of minutes ago, we looked at Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, which said, Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. Goes on to the next verse to say, Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good, will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the centre of your life. And then rather than hanging on by our fingertips, struggling to stay clean each day, we begin to enjoy the freedom, peace and joy that God begins to breathe into our lives. Uh, And in 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes this, Be cheerful no matter what. Pray all the time. Thank God no matter what happens. This is, the God, this is the way God wants you, who belong to Christ Jesus, to live. It doesn't matter how small our successes may be. Enjoy them. Celebrate them. Share them with others in your group, because they'll be so encouraged to keep going in their own journey. If you've never got to grips with step three, where we turn our will and our lives over to the care of God. I would really encourage you, before the end of this course, to examine that some more if you've never done it, because I promise you, you will never, ever regret it. Thank you. You've been very patient. Tea, coffee. Thank you.